this service of baptism and confirmation has prayer at its heart. It's very much about prayer. That Alex, Madeline, Maddie, Phoebe, Stephanie, Tanya and Andrew are wanting to say yes, confirm the promises made on their behalf at their baptism is the fruit, no doubt, of your parents, sponsors and church praying for you. And together with Arnold, so where are you, Arnold? Are you? Yeah, there you are. Right. Together with Arnold, who is making these promises for himself the first time, we are praying for all of you for the strengthening and gifting of the Holy Spirit. As a diocese, I've talked with you before about wanting to be open to the Holy Spirit transforming lives. And part and parcel of that is encouraging a culture of prayer as we seek to make the Word of God fully known. So it's absolutely wonderful today to be preaching on uh, Luke chapter 11 this morning. Teach us to pray. That's what the disciples ask Jesus. Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus answers that request, that simple request, in three parts. Firstly, a prayer. Verses 1 to 4, what we know as the Lord's Prayer. A very simple, direct prayer. Not a great long list of techniques, as, as Roy was pointing, pointing out. Actually, different ways of praying do have their, their place over time, but they don't take away from the fact, Roy's point, that anyone can pray and you don't need years of training to do it. Ultimately, though, Jesus knows teaching us to pray is not just about giving us some words to speak. It's about getting us to look at our heart. Answering another question What's going to enable us to pray effectively? So Jesus tells two parables about prayer. One, verses 5 to 8, about someone getting help from a friend at midnight. And another, verses 9 to 13, how the Father wants to give us good things. So firstly, what we know as the Lord's Prayer. This prayer is simply a prayer for people who are following Jesus. A prayer for people who are following Jesus. See, when Jesus gave this prayer to his disciples, he was on his way. He was on a journey, a journey to Jerusalem. So it wasn't just a loosely connected string of, you know, things to ask God for with no connection to anything in particular. He was on his way to Jerusalem to die for his people. And this is what Jesus saw as important to pray. So as you stand today and declare, I turn to Christ, you are saying yes to Jesus' call to follow him on your journey through life. And this is a prayer for people who want to follow and be part of his mission in the world. So this is a prayer for you. It's been ideally suited for his followers then and now. 
ideally suited both as it stands. We pray it most Sundays, in fact, should be every Sunday, in our Sunday services, which means we imbibe it. It becomes like osmosis. It becomes part of our being, second nature, so to speak. And, of course, it's also ideally suited as a framework for broader praying, for giving shape to how we pray as a whole. And what we see as we look at this prayer is it's full of ours and we's. Relationships are at the very heart of prayer. That's what it's teaching us. Relationships and the concerns that go with them, our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. Our Father in heaven. We have the privilege of calling God Father. That could be a little up on the screen if you want, the emoji prayer, if you like. Our Father in heaven. We have the privilege of calling God Father. Just as Jesus called him Father. Because we are children of God. We don't have to make an appointment to see God. We don't have to work out how to get him to listen to us. On the other side of the coin, there's also the honour and respect that goes with calling God Father. You don't say to your father, hey, you with the head, when you want his attention. Father, hallowed be your name. We are praying that God's name will be given the honour and glory due to it. Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem to act on behalf of God's name, which had been dragged in the mud as his people had turned away from him in rebellion. Let your kingdom come. God's kingdom comes as people acknowledge Jesus for who he is. And that's what you're doing today. You are acknowledging Jesus publicly for who he is. And that happens gradually now as people accept Jesus, become Christians, publicly acknowledge him. It will be fully realized when Jesus returns and everyone acknowledges him as Lord. The idea of God as Father goes right back to the time when Israel was in slavery in Egypt and needed rescuing. Israel is my son, my firstborn, declared God to Pharaoh through Moses and Aaron, so let my people go. That's when God first revealed himself as Father. From then on, to call God as Father was to invoke the God of the Exodus, the liberating God, the God whose kingdom was coming, bringing bread for the hungry, forgiveness for the sinner, and deliverance from the powers of darkness. And if, you, if you've been reading Luke, if you've been following the lectionary, they're the sort of things that you'll have been seeing happen in Luke. The miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, the sending out of the 12 and the 70, the parables Jesus tells, the miracles Jesus performs, overcoming the power of Satan. Give us each day our daily bread. What we need physically to live, our, not me, my. We're in it together with God. We're asking God 
for what we need for the journey. No more, no less. Jesus had provided bread for the journey generously. Think of the miracle, as I said, of the feeding of the 5,000, 12 baskets left over. The breaking of the bread becomes a sign of his presence in the church and the bond of his followers. And again, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. If we ask for and accept God's forgiveness for ourselves, we accept God's concern for restored relationships. Otherwise, we're hypocrites. Jesus was already offering forgiveness and would accomplish it completely in his death. He was already demanding from his followers that they imitate the graciousness of their God in forgiving their enemies, let alone each other. And he was waging war against the powers of evil, a war that would reach its decisive battle on Calvary. Save us from the time of trial. Uh, I forgot what this particular translation said. Lead us not into temptation, of course, is another. Whichever way we translate it, the main idea is asking God to save us from the time of a time of testing. The ultimate test is our faith in Christ, the basis of our relationship with God. And that is really what Jesus wants to drive home in the parables which follow. So secondly, not just what we pray, but our heart. What's going on in our heart? Praying effectively. In the first parable, Jesus asks you to imagine going to a friend's place at midnight because you you have a real problem. Someone has just turned up on your doorstep after a long journey. You're caught out. You have nothing in the house to offer them. None of the shops are open. So you're asking your friend to help you with some food so you can look after your unexpected guest. But your friend just doesn't want to know you. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked. And my children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now, this parable is about prayer. That means the friend in bed is to be taken as God the Father. That's whom we take our requests to, as we've seen in the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven. It's an astonishing response from God. Firstly, see, there's no text there back lots of love, uh, laugh out loud. It's actually, it's not a really awake, don't bother me. Then it's a more organised list of reasons to get lost. He's in bed. The house is locked up, and he'd be disturbing the children in bed if he got up. But in the the end, and that's where I can confidently say, you will get a, a response worth getting from God. The friend does respond, and Jesus tells us why. The friend responds because of your shamelessness your shameless audacity, the fact 
that you are no longer concerned for yourself what you look like. You see, people who lead reasonable, respectable lives in Baldwin, who are preoccupied with the need to think well of themselves, as we do in Kensington, do not break in upon their friends' privacy at midnight. I mean, it's not a really considerate thing to do. Thoughtless, really. And it makes you look bad, disorganised, inconsiderate. But if you're dead to all of that, if you're not preoccupied with having to think well of yourself, if you could go to your friend's house with nothing more than the confession that you are at a total loss as a host or anything else, then precisely because of your shamelessness, the friend, God, will respond to that. Alex, Maddie, Phoebe, Stephanie, Tanya, Arnold and Andrew, this is at the heart of what it means to say, I turn to Christ. I repent of my sins. I renounce all that is, I renounce selfish living, all that is false and unjust. I renounce Satan and all evil. You can only say those words. You can only live those words, that promise in the strength of the Holy Spirit. God responds to our recognition that we are totally dependent, that we cannot make it on our own, that it's only through Jesus' death for us that we can have life. And let me say in your ongoing praying, in your ongoing talking with God, in your ongoing Christian life, I know that I most effectively pray when I truly know in my heart there is nothing more I can do than turn it, the person, the situation, the relationship, whatever, over to God. And I know that more truly as a bishop than in any other part of my life. So Jesus goes on to say, I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. A blank check? I think Jesus knew that prayer begs questions. I cannot ultimately explain why God is not answering your prayer for someone, yourself maybe, to be made better or for a relationship to be restored in the way that you want it to be, why God does not end suffering when we ask God to or answer your prayer for someone to become a Christian. Whatever questions we might have, in his second parable, Jesus assures us God is not going to play games with us. God is not going to give you anything bad, anything evil. 
Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Uh, Roy would be much better than me than coming up with the modern day examples. If you then, though you are evil, know how much to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Holy Spirit, God within us, it comes back to God, the friend, giving us as much as we need. Verse 8, the Holy Spirit is what we need. Hence why the Holy Spirit is the main subject of our praying today. God the Father promising the Holy Spirit to give, to be given to those who ask him. The Holy Spirit who helps us to pray, trusting in the promises of God. Texting was a great analogy about prayer. Because I want to say that sometimes we talk about prayer as if it's exactly the same as sitting down and having a chat with a friend face to face. It's not. When we chat with a friend face to face, we actually, we can reach out and touch them. We can see all their facial expressions and so on. There's something physical. We do not see God face to face in the same sense. Moses saw God face to face, but that is what made him special. For us, it's the hope we look forward to in heaven. Through the Holy Spirit, we pray, knowing in our heart that we cannot make it on our own, knowing in our heart that we are totally dependent on Jesus' death for us, We pray looking forward to the day that we will say, see God face to face, trusting in that. And we can pray using the prayer Jesus taught us as we follow him so that not just us but many others can be part of God's kingdom. Delivered from the powers of darkness, a forgiven sinner and forgiving others and bringing bread for the hungry. I pray that those being baptized and confirmed today will take the Lord's Prayer, imbibe it, and make it your own so that you will be praying each day, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and that you will be a part of making that a reality as you are ambassadors for Christ. Amen.